Today is a, um, it's a really hard sermon. Some people say that today is the hardest sermon that's ever given. It's once a year in the church calendar, Trinity Sunday. And since like something like the 12th century, there's been one day in the calendar set aside where people are supposed to preach about the Trinity. That's what we're doing today. And I want you to know it's not just some uh, doctrine that's out there that doesn't matter. I kind of have this rule that says, if whatever we're talking about on Sunday doesn't matter on Monday, I don't want to talk about it. But it does matter on Monday, and we're going to go there. And I want to say that I think it's super important for us and our faith to think about what the Trinity means for how we understand our faith and also how we live out our faith. And those are the two things that I want to talk about this morning. And uh, when we talk about this topic, when we talk about this first bit, I think every Trinity Sunday I've ever done, I almost always tell the story because I'm not able to get away from this story. The year that I spent in London uh, working at a big Anglican church, through some twists and turns, I ended up being the interim director of the School of Theology at this church. So every Saturday we had like 100 students And we had a professor from Oxford or from Cambridge or from one of the London universities that came and lectured. And on this one particular Saturday, we had a professor come down from Oxford. She was the professor of Christianity and culture, and she was talking about the Trinity. And she started that lecture by telling this story. She said that she had been invited to go and speak at a school, what we would call here a high school, about Christianity. Again, it's the state religion. And um, she gave this talk, and then she was asked to do some Q&A at the end of it. And when she finished, there were five hands popped up immediately, like no break, instantly. And she said, okay, okay, I will answer your questions if you promise to listen to me. And what she told us, you know, I'm not throwing stones in any kind of way. I'm just telling what the story she told us and how organized things were there. But she said the five hands that went up immediately were five Muslim students. And she said they're trained. Whenever a Christian speaks, the very first question you will always get is explain the Trinity. Because how are you going to answer that? And if you've never thought about it, if you don't really go there, you're going to fumble on it. It's going to be awkward. I mean... I've been to seminary, and it can still be awkward. I mean, we're gonna, we'll talk about that in a minute. But how are you going to answer that? That's where I want to start with today, like how we think about that. And I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about how the church got there. I want to ultimately go to talking about what it is. But I want to say just a few observations about this process. Like, we believe that the church was led by God to ultimately form this doctrine and how we think about God. And that, you know, that his, God's hand led and guided the church on how this all took place and how it evolved. This all took place in the first part of our Christian faith. And the first, you know, the early Christians in the church were the ones who did this. And you'll hear the language, the fruit of this language, ultimately ends up in our creed, where we talk about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But one of the things that sometimes I think really, if you're coming from the more evangelical side of the church, that can sometimes be like, oh, I hadn't really thought about that. But there is no place in Scripture where I can say, let's turn to this passage today, and we're going to read about the doctrine of the Trinity. 
There are Trinitarian patterns. We read some of them today. The first reading at the end, he's talking about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In our gospel lesson, Ken was talking about going out and baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But you don't get a single passage that says what we're ultimately going to conclude is the doctrine around the Trinity. But this doctrine ultimately really matters. And the most simple expression of it is to say that there is one God in three persons. That's the simple version. And when you want to know why this is the first question that somebody would ask of a Christian who they're trying to, you know, catch off guard a little bit, think about some of the language about how this begins to be unpacked, because it's not just as simple as it might seem on first blush. One group of theologians begins to explain it this way. Just hear me out for a second. The three persons, the three hypostases, are of one substance, essence, or nature. The hypostases are relative to one another, and thus it may be said the real distinction of the persons from one another resides solely in the relationships which relate them to one another. The Trinity so formulated is the identity of the God that Christians worship. What? I mean, that's one of those things where you need like, it's like working a hard math problem. You need to close everything out and just read it and look at it for a long time. Maybe it's easier to say what some other theologians would comment on this of just saying there is plurality within the unity, that there is something more going on in this, or thinking about sort of a placeholder, that there is one God, but there's these there's three persons are kind of like a placeholder to understand there's more going on in this. And I think it leads us immediately, if we're honest, to acknowledging that we are stepping deep into mystery in this. We could talk about how we get there, but we're deep into mystery. And when we talk about mystery, when we talk about the Trinity in this way, we're ultimately talking in part about how we understand God. And we're reminded how we are the finite trying to wrap our heads around at some level the infinite and that there's always going to be something there that is a mystery because of just of just what that fact is and when we talk about mystery this way i think we're talking about things that we do know something about we do have knowledge about it at some level but not complete knowledge we don't fully understand it altogether so we hold it in this mystery and that's okay but it's a weird, it's probably like no other area of theology because like if you've grown up in the church like I did, you've heard all kinds of analogies about the Trinity. And at the end of the day, most of them are all heresies. Like you can really not go there. Like the, the Trinity is like the three-leafed clover. Yeah, not, not exactly. Or my favorite one growing up, of course, was it was like a Milky Way bar that it was the chocolate and the caramel and the fluffy stuff in the middle, but it's all one candy bar. All these kinds of things, all of them at some level are bad analogies that just sort of lean in that direction to try to get you to start thinking that way. And there is a, this is a whole area of theology that's sometimes called, um, the most prevalent part of this is called apophatic theology, which is basically a theology of saying, we don't, we don't know exactly, completely how to explain it in clear terms, but we know that's wrong. That's a fancy word of saying we have a theology where we know these things are wrong. It's a negative theology, but we don't completely know how to explain it. That's why it becomes a question to ask when you're trying to make somebody stumble who hasn't thought about it. So I think at the end of the day, the answer to that, if I get it, if, I'm, if five hands went up immediately to ask me the question, 
I'd be honest and say, well, we acknowledge it's a mystery. We are the finite pursuing the infinite. But we understand, we believe that God has led the church to understand God in terms of a doctrine that says there is one God in three persons, that there is a plurality within a unity, that there is a communion at the very Godhead. And that's where I want to begin to expand on the second part of what I want to say today is this community, because, because that's sort of the understanding, the intellectual bit, the part we need to be able to say, and it matters in how we understand our faith. But I want to turn and camp out a little bit more on how we live our faith. Because I think on Monday, maybe that matters more to us than how we understand it. And when we begin to look at this, I want to come back to this notion that the Trinity is a communion. It's this communion that's taking place, and it's ultimately at the very heart of it, it's a communion of love. And probably my favorite passage written about the Trinity from a, um, a group of theologians who are very authoritative on all this stuff, they describe it this way, and I love this quote. This is, this is how they say it. God's very being is love. By sending His only Son and the Spirit of love in the fullness of time, God has revealed his innermost secret. God himself is an eternal exchange of love. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he's destined us to share in that exchange. I'd like to read that just one more time. God's very being is love. By sending his only Son and the Spirit of love in the fullness of time, God has revealed his innermost secret. God himself is an eternal exchange of love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he's destined us to share in that exchange. The, um, there, there are many ways we can begin to sort of unpack that, I think, and, and begin to think about and pull out what are some of the consequences of that. I love the way the theologian Jane Williams talks about this, and you know, she's a deep theologian. She happens to be married to the former Archbishop of Canterbury, and I always imagine what their dinner conversations are like. But she, she talks about how what God consists of, what He's ultimately about, is being in relation. And that how this relation exists even before we as humans existed. There's always been a relation in God, because it's this relation at the Godhead of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There is this, this communion this way of what's taking place. And we get the idea that, um, and the knowledge that God is love. And when you think about that, and we talk about how love, we oftentimes think about it being a verb. It's something you do. And we talk about God is love. That the idea behind that is when you actually go to the heart of it all, and you go to the Godhead, there is a communion of love, and this perfect love is being exchanged and taking place. And it matters because I want to suggest to you that the entire spiritual journey you have as a Christian is defined and related to this exchange of love that takes place. I like one of my uh, theologians I really love is Bishop Leslie Newbegin. He writes about this and he says, it means that the primordial reality from which all things come and to which all things are directed is that shared communion of love and bliss 
which is the being of the Trinity. So everything is related to that, and we begin to unpack our own spiritual lives. You want to talk about why it matters on Monday? It matters because it's how we understand our walk, our journey. It matters in how we live that journey. And I want to give you just a few ideas on that. First of all, when you stop to think about how we are told in Scripture that we're made in God's image, one aspect of that is we're made in this, we're, we're hardwired because of who God is in saying that for community. Because at the end of the day, God has got this communion of love. We're made in his image. We're made to be in relationship. We're made to have community. And so isolation by itself, without Zoom or anything else, is hell. Complete isolation, solitary confinement in a prison is, is the worst thing you can do. We're wired, all of us, deep down for community. And we're reminded, particularly during this season, that the church is not about the stained glass windows or the buildings or anything else. It's about a group of people in community devoted and focused on God's love, receiving it and sharing it. And that ultimately is what provides the contours, the parameters, the framework for everything about how we live out our, our faith. The more we walk into that love, the more we're open to receiving the love of the Trinity, this perfect love, into our lives, it begins to change us and, and affect how we live out our life. When we know that we are God's children held in that love, that we're the beloved, it gives us a place of security and strength to lean into the brokenness of the world. It's from that place that we can be God's instruments to go into broken places. It's from that place, the more we lean into it, the more that God will change us. When we live out that place and we're open more to God's work, He will continue to lead us out to be about His kingdom, we might say, about the, His purposes, His priorities, about the things that He wants. And I don't think it's an accident when St. Paul ultimately later writes about how the Holy Spirit works in us to produce fruit in Galatians 5. He talks about the fruit of the Spirit within us. The very first thing he's going to mention is love. Because the more we take on the family likeness, the more we imbibe the love of the Trinity, the more this is going to come out in us of love and joy and peace and patience, and kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, all of that. But the first one's love. And our call, I think, is to be open to that. And it's a daily thing at some level to surrender to it. Because if we don't, we can every day get pursued by some other love. Power, money. We, you know, we're reminded in Scripture that perfect love drives out fear. But if we don't hold on to that love, that fear will come in. And it happens at all levels. It even happens to the church. You know, I think about this. I think about how churches can get scared. I think the most deplorable one I've heard of in the last couple years was a church that, that gave a clergy person a non-compete to say that if you leave this job in this, in this place, you cannot work in another church in this city for a year. What kind of fear was that? God's love is endless and infinite. And he ultimately, this brings us back to, to part of this love going deep in us is a call with it to share it. And the more we let God's love come in that way, it will transform us. 
And it'll send us out to share what it is. And, and it'll change us, right? I always think about one of the clergy I worked with in London, Nicky Gumbel, talked about how he was really reluctant to become a Christian because he was afraid that God would want him to say something about his faith. And then as God <laughs> changed him, he goes on to be like this global evangelist. I think helping lead Alpha with 24 million people have heard it and all this other kind of stuff. God changes us that way. He wants us to share it with that. And that's part of what I think the Trinity, the love of the Trinity residing in us and we saying, come and do this in us, changes us and brings us out to do that. But it's not only what we say and how we share it that way, but, it, but also how we share it through our actions, right? We're mindful that Jesus again and again didn't just talk about love or what have you or teach. He did it by how he lived right down to the day before he dies, the things he, he's doing. We're mindful when we lean into the gospel, how God is telling us to care for our, our neighbor, to love our neighbor, to care for our, the physical needs. For, to Look at Jesus's example of calling us to look after the marginalized to look after the least of these. All of that is part of, the more we lean into that love and let that love come into us, the more of that's what we're going to be about. And I think on this day, in this time where we are, we have to go beyond that to say that loving through service that way also is a call for us to embrace and be about justice. And we're mindful that, you know, in Malachi 6, when when it talks about what does God require? Well, he requires that we pursue justice and love kindness and walk humbly with our God. And I think walking humbly with our God, to me, means in part being open. We're not about ourselves, but we're open to God, to receiving from God, to having this Trinitarian love come within us that will fuel a love for justice, that will fuel a love for kindness. And part of this leads us to where we are. Like, where, where is God calling us today in all these things that are happening? Maybe your whole spiritual journey, your whole walk, all the prayers you've done, all the scripture reading you've done, all the different worship services you've been in has been about opening you to God's love, this Trinitarian love in you, to stand up and say, this is enough. There has to be justice for everyone. God wants us to love everyone the same. God loves everyone the same. There's equal dignity for everyone. We say it in our baptismal vows. What does it mean as a deep call for justice? And I think we're at a different kind of place. I want to tell you that my um, 86-year-old mom this week, who can walk about maybe from here to the back of the church before she needs her wheelchair, said this week that she wants to go march. She's not a social activist, but I'm just loving this image. And I wondered to myself whether her whole spiritual journey of taking in God's love in this way has led her to this moment of saying, I've got to do something. I know I'm 86. I know I don't have this, but something's got to be done. We have to stand up. I don't know what it is. God will lead us, but something needs to be done. I think the Trinity and the love of the Godhead lived out in our lives is super important to what you do tomorrow and how you live out your faith. I think we've got to, that it really, really matters. It's a complicated subject, a complicated topic. There is one God, three persons. There is a communion of love. 
there is this eternal, perfect exchange of love taking place. And our spiritual journey is deeper and deeper and deeper into that love. And as we go deeper into it, as we live out our lives here, it comes with a call for us to embrace and to spread that love in the world. And my prayer is that we would all do that as we go forward. Let's pray. Gracious God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the heart of it all, the heart of you is love. Help us to drink that love, to embrace that love, to receive that love, to share that love, and to live that love. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.